Thank you, Cody. Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful for this opportunity to be together. We're thankful that you have revealed yourself through your son, Jesus, and through the written word. We're thankful that you speak to us through the word today. And I pray that you would, by your spirit, enable me to say what your word says. And I pray that you would enable all of us to hear what you want us to hear today. And I pray, Father, that we would receive it in faith, we would obey it, and we would be changed by it. Father, we pray this for our own good and for the building up of this body, and we pray this for the glory of your matchless name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning as we consider this text, we learn that we have reason to sing. Uh, We sing in response to good news. We sing to teach and affirm good news. We also sing to stay focused on good news. Uh, we, We sing when we have mountaintop experiences, we also must sing when we walk through the dark valleys of life. The truth of the matter is that we can be too easily distracted from what is most important. Uh, We can too easily lose sight of what brings the greatest and most satisfying joy in life. C.S. Lewis has famously said, and I quote, Our desires are not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. That that is a real danger for all of us. Uh, Last week in Isaiah chapter 53, the suffering servant was revealed to us. We, We learned how sin and death were defeated by the Lord's perfect servant who suffered in our place. He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. By his wounds you are healed. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. We learn too that Jesus was assigned a grave among the wicked, but was raised to life conquering sin and death. My sin and my guilt and my death, Jesus took upon himself there on that cross. He did this to make me accounted righteous. Rebel sinners can be restored to the holy God. A severed relationship is restored because Jesus suffered in our place. And if you have been restored to a right relationship with the true 
and living God. God intends for you to enjoy Him. In fact, if, if we enjoy anything more than Him, we are guilty of idolatry. As you know, Isaiah 53 reveals the, the suffering servant. But as we come to chapters 54 and 55, we, we see here reasons laid out, reason after reason, for you to trust the suffering servant with your life. Chapters 54 and 55 are really a call to trust him with your life. And when I say trust him with your life, I'm saying you put your faith in Jesus, knowing that he alone is your savior your only defender or deliverer, your only source of life and peace and hope. But, but I'm also saying that you make him your greatest joy. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 6.33, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things, earthly things that we need to live on this earth, will be added to you. So our, our number one priority and desire must be King Jesus. K King Jesus and conforming to his revealed will for our lives. It, it can't be money, it can't be clothes or houses or friends or comfort or man's approval or control or power, etc., etc. Jesus deserves to be your number one desire, your greatest desire. And, and Paul exhorted the church in Philippi to make the Lord their joy. Uh, they were filled, in fact, with all sorts of problems and conflict, and, and, and it's easy to think, surely I can't experience joy if I have all of these problems. But Philippians 4.4, 4, in that passage, the Holy Spirit, through Paul, says, Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say, rejoice. So, in other words, make the Lord your joy always. And we have good reason. Today, we will learn at least five reasons why we can make the Lord our joy. All of these reasons come to us through the suffering servant learned about in Isaiah 53. And now in chapter 54, we will see again five key reasons to sing or to rejoice, and, and they flow right out of the suffering servant's ministry in our lives. Uh, verse 1 of chapter 54 begins by saying, sing, <laughs> sing. You've done that today, and it's a good thing to do that. It's here, in fact, a command to sing. So, so singing here is a step of obedience. But again, we sing in response to hearing good news. Singing is an expression of joy that something or someone brings us. And the first reason given to us to sing is this. It's found in verses 1 through 3. Through the suffering servant, the barren woman will prosper and have offspring that fill the earth. So Isaiah tells the, the barren woman to sing. <laughs> but, but why should she sing? Well, it's because she's promised 
many children. In fact, she's promised so many children that she will need to enlarge her tent, uh, to stretch out her curtains and to lengthen the cords and to strengthen the stakes. Uh, she, she's told not to hold back. <laughs> she's, she says she is told to go big with enlarging the tent. And mention of these tents would hearken back to when Israel was delivered out of Egypt and then was sustained by the Lord in the wilderness for 40 years, living in tents. This is the God who is telling her to enlarge her tent. Now, in the ancient Near East, it was often the woman's job to set up their tents. And so it was fitting for Isaiah to tell the barren woman that she needs a larger tent. In fact, the, the barren woman's offspring will fill the lands of many nations. Her children will inherit many cities that were once desolate. Her, her offspring would, will spread out to the right and to the left, which is a way to say her, her offspring will be spread everywhere. The, the God who set them free from slavery in Egypt, faithfully sustaining them through the wilderness for 40 years, is the God who would bless her with offspring to fill the nations. That, that is reason to sing. And we say that for two reasons. One, singing is an expression of great joy. Um, and so that, that singing ex that expresses great joy makes sense when a barren woman is blessed with many children. Deep, deep sorrow turned into great joy. Hannah experienced that sorrow, and she experienced joy when Samuel was born. Elizabeth experienced that deep sorrow, and then also experienced joy when John the Baptist was born. But who is the barren woman that Isaiah speaks of here in verse 1? Well, to answer that question, we must turn to Galatians 4. And I invite you to do that. Galatians 4, listen to what uh, the Apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 4, verses 21 through 31. Galatians 4, beginning with verse 21, Paul says, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman. Uh, re remember, that was an ill-fated attempt by Sarah to help God keep his promise. And one, one by a free woman, verse 23. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh. Again, it was a man-made solution to a promise that only God could, could keep. The text goes on, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now, this may be interpreted, interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above, in other words, a heavenly city, 
that Jerusalem is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, and here Paul quotes verse 1 of Isaiah 54, our sermon text for today. And I quote, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Verse 28. Now, you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh, that was Ishmael, persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, that was Isaac, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers... We are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. You got that? Let me explain. It it was through the free woman that many descendants would fill the nations. That was God's promise to Abraham and Sarah back in Genesis 12 and Genesis 15. And, And remember, this slave woman, Sarah, was barren until she was a hundred years old. But even then, God promised her offspring who would bless all of the people groups on the earth. And Galatians chapter 3, verse 16 tells us that the birth of Jesus fulfilled the promise to Abraham and Sarah. And then in Galatians 3, 29, we're told that those who believe in Jesus are also Abraham's descendants. So in other words, those of us who are in Christ Jesus are children of the promise. Today, those who believe Jesus, both believing Jew and believing Gentile, are partakers of the promise that was given to Abraham and Sarah. And they would have offspring to fill the nations. So, today, here in Merton, Wisconsin, if you live by faith in Jesus Christ, you are part of something grand and glorious. This is, this is something grand and glorious that only God could do. We, we were, in fact, once dead and unresponsive to God. Worse... We were rebels against God. But the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians 4, 6. A barren woman at the age of 100 was given a promise that she would have more descendants than she could count. (laughs) A dead sinner is brought to life by God. This is reason to sing. This is reason to rejoice. Remember, we sing in response to good news. We also sing to stay focused on the good news. There is a second reason to trust Jesus with your life. 
a second reason to sing, verses 4 through the first part of 10, teach us that through the suffering servant, you need not fear, for his commitment to love you will never end. So if you trust the suffering servant, you will not be put to shame. You will not be disgraced. You, will, you, you really need not fear. You will not be disappointed. Um, we all know that there are times in life when we trust someone only to be let down, um, only to be disappointed. In, in, in the world today, there are certainly lots and lots of broken promises. I was talking to a neighbor recently who expressed frustration in people when they don't keep their word. He said, I just don't like to depend on anyone. Um, there, there have been times that I've interacted with people in this community and they know that I'm a pastor and they will say something like, well, if we can't trust you, who can we trust? And, and I understand that there are greater expectations on a pastor, but the truth of the matter is that I will let people down. I will disappoint people. I will make promises that I don't keep. But there is one person who will never disappoint, and that's Jesus. He and He alone deserves our ultimate trust. Verse 4 says, Fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced. And then verse 4 continues, For you will forget the shame of your youth. I mean, who, who doesn't have regrets about their youthful ways? Um, there there are, are lots of things that I did when I was young that brought shame. But there is a way to forget that shame. The text goes on, and the reproach of your widowhood you will remember no more. So it's not just your youth, but there are often circumstances beyond our control in life that bring us much heartache. Even these can be gone. Why? Verse 5, for your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name, and the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. The God of the whole earth, he is called. So your life, your, your hope, your joy can, cannot be tied to a sinful man. So l listen, if you expect to get something from someone, uh, if, if, you, if you expect to get something that only God can give you, you will always be disappointed. Your ultimate hope and joy are not tied to sinful man, but to your Creator. He is your lover. The Lord Almighty is His name. He's the Holy One of Israel. Again, He's your Redeemer. The, the God who has authority over all the earth and the universe is your God. This text says He's like a husband to you. He's your lover. Verse 6, For the Lord has called you like a wife, deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth when she is cast off, says your God. So, 
the pain of being rejected by a lover is very great. Uh, Lives can, in fact, crumble when a spouse walks out. But if the Lord is your ultimate lover, you will never be disappointed. Verse 7, for a brief moment I deserted you, but with great compassion I will gather you. In overflowing anger for a moment I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. So, sometimes the believers walk through dark valleys and they feel like the Lord has abandoned them. It it feels like that sometimes. The the psalmist says in Psalm 13, 1 and 2, How long, O Lord, will, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all of the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? I appreciated the way Tim started our time of worship today. We need to be honest about the difficulties that we face in life. And the time that we have for worship is a time to bring all of that stuff to Christ. And to look to Him as our hope and our life and our joy, our deliverer, our rock, our refuge. We, we need Him more than we need anything else. So the psalmist cries out, how how long will you hide your face from me? Judah felt that way when they were exiled in in Babylon. Did God forget us here? But but listen to what the Lord says in verses 9 and 10. This is like the days of Noah to me, as I swore that the waters of Noah shall no more go over the earth. So the, the flood waters at the time of Noah, did serve God's good and just purposes. God did save Noah and his family. He brought judgment on the world, but he did save Noah and his family. But God also promised then to to never destroy the earth again with a flood. And he hasn't. The rainbow in the sky is a symbol of God's faithfulness to his promise that we see whenever the storms come. There's a ray of light that bursts forth and we see that rainbow in the sky and we think of the faithfulness of God to his promise. Now listen to the end of verse 9. So I have sworn that I will not be angry with you and will not rebuke you. That's a bold promise. That's a bold promise that the Lord makes. Verse 10, for the mountains may depart and the hills be removed. So the topography of the earth may be altered, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you. My steadfast love shall not depart from you. All I can say is, wow, what what a promise. What a bold promise. Can, Can anything be more substantial and unmoving than the mountains and the hills? We want to say, no, nothing could be, be more rock solid than that. However, the Lord promises that his steadfast love will be more unmoved than the mountains. He, he says, my anger will not be unleashed upon you. Why? 
Why is that true? It's because the suffering servant drank the cup of God's wrath to the dregs in our place. And as Romans 8.1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This text, though, tells us also that my steadfast love shall not depart from you. That the Hebrew word for steadfast love is kesed. And this is a hard word to translate. It's, it's a strong word. Um, covenantal loyalty might be a better translation. It, it conveys the faithfulness of God to keep his promise to love and keep his redeemed people in his care. Let me say that again. It, con- it conveys the faithfulness of God to keep his promise to love and keep his redeemed people in his care. So God has given us his word as defined in the covenant, the new covenant, that those Christ has saved will be cared for and protected forever. God has accepted us on the basis of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We stand today in God's favor and love because the suffering servant suffered in our place. And for the one called to belong to Jesus, that will never change. There is no greater love than the love God has for those who are in His Son, Jesus Christ. Nothing can satisfy us more than God's perfect, faithful love. For the one saved by Jesus Christ, your shame has been replaced by honor. Your lonely and desperate despair has been overcome by an eternal love. That, that is reason to rejoice. That is reason to sing. But there is more. Through the suffering servant, you will have peace. Verse 10 says, My steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed. So the Hebrew word for peace here is shalom. Shalom is more than just the absence of hostilities. Shalom speaks of absolute well-being and wholeness. Um, Our closing song today will be, It is well with my soul. That's the idea of shalom, peace. Um, In Romania, when we spend our time there in the church, we're with brothers and sisters. Uh, They greet one another as you come into the church. They pace, pace, which means peace. When When we depart, they say pace, brother, pace. I love that. It's a great way to greet one another as believers. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, we're told that Jesus is our shalom. Jesus is our peace. He, Jesus alone makes us whole. In Jesus, we can say, it is well with my soul. But verse 10 also speaks of a covenant of peace that shall not be removed. And I would argue that it is the new covenant established by the shed blood of Jesus that gives us peace forever, as Romans 5.1 teaches. But 
when verse 10 says, my covenant of peace shall not be removed, the text continues. And it says, it's the Lord who tells us that. The Lord who has compassion on you. The Lord sees your need. He understands your need. He responds to your need. And He meets our greatest need. I love the rain. We need rain. Thank you, Lord, for the rain. And thank you for a roof over our head, right? And I think I have my windows open in the car. But that's okay. The Lord is still faithful. Where was I? The Lord sees our need. He meets our greatest need. Um, And here the Lord who has compassion on you says in verse 11, O afflicted one, he knows that. O afflicted one, storm-tossed and not comforted. The Lord knows that about you in those times of your life. Behold, he says, I will set your stones in antimony and lay your foundations with sapphires. And I will make your pinnacles of agate and your gates of carbuncle and all of your wall of precious stones. We, we have here in verse 11 and 12 a beautiful description of the Lord's handiwork. Precious stones and jewels carefully laid together describing a building to reveal the beauty of being whole, of having absolute well-being or peace. Verses 11 and 12 are speaking of people more than a building, but is using the building to describe the beauty of people who have peace. I'm not sure, but I can't help but think of Ephesians 2 when I read through this. Um, I already mentioned Ephesians 2.14, where we're told that Jesus is our shalom, he's our peace. But then in verses 19 through 22 of the very same chapter, just a few verses later, we read a description of God laying stones together in a new and holy temple, the church. Listen as I read verses 19 through 22. So then... You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, the most important stone, the chief stone that ties everything together. Verse 21, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. There there is peace and joy and beauty here because God dwells with us by His Spirit. That's reason to rejoice. That's reason to sing. And verse 13 adds... All of your children shall be taught by the Lord, and great shall be the peace of your children. So, from one generation to the next, the Lord will be at work instructing and establishing peace. His covenant of peace. This work that flows from the suffering servant 
will have continuity and permanence from one generation to the next. Um, it, it was Jesus who said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Matthew 16, 18. Again, reason to sing. Reason to rejoice. But there's still more. Verse 14 through 17. Through the suffering servant, you will be established in righteousness and therefore secure. In righteousness, you shall be established. This is the righteousness of Jesus. We've talked a lot over the last couple of weeks about how God has accounted us righteous based upon the righteousness of Jesus Christ. In, in Christ's righteousness, we are established or secure before God. Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39 declares so powerfully that if God is for us in Christ, who can be against us? And the answer is absolutely no one. Verse 14, back in Isaiah 54, continues, You shall be far from oppression, for you shall not fear, and from terror, for it shall not come near you. If anyone stirs up strife, it is not for me. Whoever stirs up strife with you shall fall because of you. Behold, I have created the smith who blows the fire of coals and produces a weapon for its purposes. I have also created the ravager to destroy. No weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed, and you shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. I love how Romans 8.33 uh, ask the question, who, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. That's why, if you are in Christ, you're secure. This is why we can say, it is well with my soul. Again, reason to sing, reason to rejoice. One, one final thing we're done, and I'm going to ask the worship team to come up at this time, if you would. Just come on, make your way up this way as I make this one final point. Through the suffering servant, you will have a rich heritage. The, the second half of verse 17 is simply summarizing all of our blessings, or all of the reasons for us to sing. Um, this verse says, this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication for me, declares the Lord. So in, in Christ, we are indeed richly blessed. That's true today. That's true today. But I also want you to know that the best is yet to come. Our inheritance will make any and all suffering on this earth fade away. There, there is nothing absolutely nothing more valuable or satisfying than knowing God through faith in Jesus Christ. And we get to enjoy Him now, but in glory, when Christ comes again and takes us to be with Him, we will enjoy Him fully. So what is the right application of these truths today? It's really one thing. It is sing for joy. Sing for joy. Um, we, we do that to 
in response to good news, we do that to remember good news. We, we do that to fight, to live in light of the good news that has been promised to us in Jesus. So I invite you to stand. Let's sing for joy. It is well with my soul.